You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I'm talking to Erin Foley. Now, if you're listening in the UK, you may not know Erin. She is, I don't know how big her profile is in the US, but she was someone who I saw at South by Southwest in wonderful Austin, Texas, um, a couple of years ago and was just absolutely struck by how just the sort of the ferocity of the comedy. She's so gentle and warm and flinty, as we will discuss, <laughs> whether or not she hadn't heard the term flinty. And as soon as I mentioned it, I started to panic about whether it was gendered in an unfair way. But she is just, I just absolutely loved her act. So go and find out her act. If you're not familiar with her and you can afford the time to pause this, download or listen on Spotify or somewhere to deep dive her most recent album, it's just very, very funny. And sometimes there is a joy in the simplicity of saying to someone, I don't know that she has a particular angle in her comedy, but she is just funny and funny is funny. So you will love this. There's no extras of this episode. We did this one. This is one of the earliest ones I did over Zoom when um, when things hit. Uh, and we'll cover that briefly. I don't think this, this episode is entirely COVID free. I mean, the, the file certainly is. And I can one of the few guarantees I can give you in 2020 is that this conversation itself will not increase your R number. But um, nonetheless, we're going to talk about um, questioning and defining success. We're going to talk about performing honestly and a, a sort of a career point that changed for her. She was eight years into her career before she began uh, doing what we now know to be called the big gay reveal on stage. So this, without further ado, is the brilliant Erin Foley. We'll start with that in in terms of one of the in terms of the big differences. Maybe it's a maybe it's an American Anglo difference. I don't know, but I certainly feel like one of one of the things I do is when I'm being interviewed, I completely forget to be funny because I like I I go oh I better answer these questions and then I yeah. <laughs> forget that the oh no the reason I'm here is to try and find comedy out of it. And you've done I know you've done your fair share of like you've done Conan a few times. Um, you've done sort of TV appearances and things like this. How are you with um, with that kind of interview? How easy do you find it a gear shift to go, oh, now I'm in funny mode? Oh, I think it's terrible. <laughs> I think it's just, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, I don't speak like this normally. You know what I mean? Like, can I just 
where is like the the I don't know. Like I, I don't consider myself like joke machine. Mm -hmm. And I think the, like, I notice this a lot when, um, you know, I think you have, I've met like such wonderful stand up comics and I will, I will defend a stand up until, you know, my dying breath, but there's only certain people you can hang out with like in the stand-up world, right? Because you can have like a, a, a wonderful, normal conversation as human beings. And then you see a couple people approaching and you're like, oh God, it's going to, we're going to be on. It's going to be like an on festival and I, I have no energy for it, you yeah. know? So you kind of have to suss it out. But um, now when I'm sort of getting a lot more into TV writing, you can see it like you could, th this rhythm, I think a lot of stand up sort of get hired to do um, like a lot of multicam writing because it's like joke, joke, joke. But the reality of it is like no one speaks like that. <laughs> it's not like, you know what I mean? Like, okay, we're funny, which is fantastic. I don't know how you get through the day without a sense of humor. I mean, I'm, I, I feel like I'm a funny person. I love making jokes, but like, I'm not like, hey, well, where's the banana peel in the kitchen? I just woke up. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it seems insane to me that rhythm of just like boom, boom, boom. It's, it's so not natural and it honestly makes me like wildly uncomfortable because I'm like, what's wrong with you? Yes. <laughs> like, yes. It's, I, I can sometimes feel myself doing it. Like, like if I'm being, I was in Cape Town for a, a for the South African comedy festival just before the pandemic. And um, we were being interviewed on a kind of morning TV thing. And it's one of those things whereby like, it's, I, it's quite a big show in South Africa, but I've got no cultural reference for it whatsoever. Right. So I'm like, well, okay, I had to get up at five and I'm annoyed about that. Um, and it's just funny because you're being interviewed in a certain way that puts you like, you know, you might have felt before, like it's, it's a big challenge for me over the career, over my comedy career is is to stop doing an impression of what I think a comedian is on stage. Yeah. Right. That's oh, I'm going to oh, I'm supposed to do this now. you know. Yeah. Um, and but it's the most I feel like right back to square one is if I'm being interviewed and I have to be funny and I'm like grasping for. Yeah. Do you know what oh. I mean? Like, I just feel like I'm yeah. doing exactly that thing of going, who am I pretending to be? What is yeah. this? I think I think it like it. The only thing that's well, first of all, morning radio, if you're at a comedy club, morning radio is the worst thing on the entire world. I don't understand how I can't promote the show at noon. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no comedy. You will never meet a comedian and if you, it, it, who enjoys morning radio, who feels, feels comfortable. And if they do, they are you can't be friends with them because they're completely lying and they're or they're insane. Yeah. Um, because it's hell. It's a hellscape. We're not traditionally morning people. And then I have to be. Then it just feels like. Why I get so, um, I start to have like blood boiling rage when people categorize comics as like broken clowns. Yeah, and sure. I'm like, I, 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 I literally, I don't feel like I could ever hit a person, but I could probably hit them. <laughs> um, because it's so disrespectful, you know, but also I'm like, if I go to an office every single morning and put like on a nude nylon and like work 12 hours, like. How is that not a broke? Like that's that's a, that's <laughs> that's the same argument. You know what I mean? Yes. You're like you know what I mean. So whatever. Plus, I'd be like an alcoholic anyway. So, um, 
but the morning radio, yeah, the, the, it really feels like they're setting you up for jo- for to be like some sort of joke pony, and it's so wildly uncomfortable because again, you're like, I don't speak like this. Yes, I don't. It is the it is the gross wacka wacka. Hey, whoa. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like when they start doing that and you're like, who are you? You are like the morning commute. And you're like, oh, God, it's terrible. And that, I think, from what I know of your comedy, I think that that must particularly great for you because you, I feel like you are a comedian on your own terms. Do you think that's fair? Well, I guess I just, I, I have like, um, there's more weaving in and out. There's more longer bits. It's more parts of stories. There, it, it, it doesn't ever feel like... Sometimes I feel like the most serious person in comedy. Do you? <laughs> I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, do, I don't have... It has been this very... You know, I've been doing it 20 years, but I, I, I don't think I've ever met anyone that does not like to be in the limelight. Mm-hmm. I don't like, it, it's really, it's been really hard the last couple of years because I've, I've really reached a point where I feel like wildly now uncomfortable in front of people in general. I didn't see that coming. You know okay. what I mean? So I, I have been, I, I don't know. I don't, I like doing, I love stand up, and then I want to run off the stage. Mm-hmm. I love people. I love meeting people. I selling merch. I'm, I think I'm in the whole negative 5 million because I, <laughs> I, I, I feel like, Hey, you just laughed now come over and buy more like the, the selling of it. You yeah. know what I mean? That's where I feel like I, I'm not good at it. I don't enjoy it. I just want to kind of do it and have this experience and then hide. That feels like that's kind of an, that's the old way we used to do it. Like, I worry about that now. I feel like, I say, they say this on the podcast all the time, but stay with it, listener. I will try and say <laughs> it in a different way. But I, I do feel like now we as comics are encouraged to be selling the entire time, to be chopping up our lives, putting everything, packaging on social media and giving people either a window into our real lives or the illusion of a window into our real lives. And there are young comics starting now for whom that is what comedy is. You know, you do bits on Instagram and you do lives and you do all this kind of stuff. And I will sound very elderly now simply <laughs> describing it as a phenomenon as opposed to, oh, that's just that's just the case. Um, I suppose, like, because you're, if you've been going 20 years, then you're not old guard, but, you know, you predated social media. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Thank God. Thank God. I, I can't, I just... I that's I think I think that's what it is. I think um and this is going to sound like, you know, just a real complaint, but isn't stand up enough? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's so it's extremely difficult so is being a surgeon. I'm not saying stand up sure. is like but you know what I mean? For us it comes naturally enough, but it is it is extremely difficult. Um and it feels like I just, I just did, you know, five shows, you know, 45 minute hour shows, met everyone after, did, did as much as I possibly could. Sunday morning, I take the first flight out. I land in my apartment and I am, I literally don't want to see anyone for maybe a week, you know? <laughs> and it's just because I gave everything, you know, the feeling you give everything yeah. and then you're so depleted and you need to fill the tank up again. 
And then you want me to go on Instagram and go, whoa, Sundays. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, no. <laughs> like, I, I don't make me do all of this, you know? Yes. Like, just, but I, it, it is, it is, it is a really, di- it's a difficult balance because, again, like, I think some people are very, some people are truly very comfortable taking a phone and being like, you know, oh my God, I'm at the blah, 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 mm-hmm. you know, which is totally fine. I have just never been that person. I I feel like you have part of me and the rest is, is yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I don't I... want anybody to know what I'm eating. Yeah. I, I don't want anybody to see me <laughs> unless I say, this is when you can see me. That is, that is increasingly a challenge now, isn't it? Because how can you, do you think that you would, and listen, I, I, I have done no work to set you up at all in terms of the listener, the, the listener, I will, I will big you up in the intro. I mean, we met at South by Southwest, I think. Um, yeah. I don't think we've met before then. You just destroyed in uh, Esther's Follies. It was just a, just a fantastic gig. And you crushed it, and which is a very that's the thing I would say to an American comic, not to an English. We don't say crushing it so much. We're starting to say that now. Um, but like it was so, so good. And it was it was just like such a rounded stand-up, like someone who has who has a complete sense of themselves and has got like road miles under your belt of like, you know, I felt like, oh, I'm in completely safe hands, not in a way that that kind of bores me at all, you know, but like the best version of being in safe hands where you go, this person's just, you know, completely destroying, totally themselves. It was so much fun to watch. Do you think that you would enter the world of stand-up now? with what it looks like, not, not necessarily the age you are, but with what stand-up looks like now. Do you think it would offer you the things that it offered you when you started or that you thought it would? Well, first of all, thanks for that compliment. That I just waged it all in and then asked a question. Wildly That's uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but I, I could say the same about you. When, you. when you got up there, I was like, oh, we're going to be friends. Oh, sure. Yeah, I remember you saying um, that to me. That was very nice. Yeah, I was like, oh, we're going to be friends. Um, yeah, I... I don't know. I think when I started, I was so naive. Like I was just like, it feels like I was like a, it feels like a, like a completely different life. And I think if I knew now, I would, what I know now, I I don't think I would have ever done it. And I don't think it's because of the standup. I think it's the life around it. Mm -hmm. So if this now comes with, if standup now comes with all this pressure of social media and the tweets and the Instagram and the snap, whatever, TikTok stuff that I don't even, I can't even get on my phone because I'll fucking have a heart attack. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. I I would say probably no. I I mean, I I just, I, I feel like, um, I don't, I don't find that fun or funny or, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and, and again, I think, but, but the argument also is like, okay, so maybe I'm experiencing this at like, I think I started like mid twenties. Um, maybe now as a 25 year old, I find that really fun. You know yeah. what I mean? I find, oh, Instagram, like fun videos and, and doing jokes. Maybe, maybe that's all really fun and that's part of it. And I just, I would, I would embrace that then because I was 25, but now, now it's like I've, I've, it's torture. (laughs) And I I suppose as well, I think to be fair to people who are doing really funny stuff on social media, newer, younger comics often, and to be fair to them, we are in a perspective of having seen a thing that we loved change, (laughs) whereas there, you know, and, and also we, everyone we know is a comic or a lot of people that we know are comics. So 
we can we're sort of it's almost like the experiment doesn't work for us because like one of the reasons I got into comedy was that it felt really alternative. It was an alternative. Now, of course, everything I see and everyone I know is comedy. So it doesn't feel like yeah. an alternative anymore. Um, it just feels like the norm. I suppose there are 22 year olds who are being funny, being funny on Instagram. And because not everyone in their friendship group is a comic, they're still standing out. And the people they're delivering that content in inverted commas to are just like, whoa, they're all going, oh, look, my friend John is being really funny on social media. In a way, yeah. whereas to us, it feels like an awful tiresome thing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think, though, I, if I can take off my yeah cranky pants about social media, I think it is, um, I think it, what it has provided is like so much more of an opportunity for people to be funny in so many different ways, which I really appreciate. Um, I don't love it being like, okay, I killed it on Instagram. Now I'm going to, you know, get a set over the weekend on Caroline's, yep. you know, in, in New York. Cause then I go, okay, now, you yep. know what I mean? Like, I, I guess I still am like, I, I still firmly believe that it takes, you know, a really long time and you should be doing everything you, you can do to make yourself the best stand up comic, maybe not the, the, the funniest on social media. Mm -hmm. I don't think that transfers tons of, you know, for the, for the majority, but, um, I think all these social media platforms like YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, I think it has, you know, I think a lot of people can be funny in so many different ways. And I think that's awesome. I mean, mm -hmm. we're experiencing right now, we're in the middle of an epic universal shit show mm -hmm. and everybody needs comedy. And so for, it to be videos here or whatever there, I am like so for that. And I also, when I see people like crushing it on social media, comedy wise, like I'm like good for them. Yeah. You know, it's only when I get like a little bit protective is when they go, Oh, like this, you know, YouTuber has, you know, a weekend at Gotham. And mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, I remember being at Gotham at six 30 PM waiting mm -hmm. for three friends to go on so I can have six minutes, you know, yeah. when that's when my left eye is like, <laughs> you know, um, but then again, they have an act that will be in flames in, you know, 11 months. And so, you know, whatever, <laughs> that's the only time where I'm, I get protective of stand up. So, so who were you when you brought yourself to comedy? What, what did you want out of it and what did you need out of it? Yeah, it really feels like a different world. I had just moved. I moved to New York City. I always wanted to live in the city. I moved in with both my sisters. So it felt very comfortable and safe and fun. Um, One of which is your twin sister. Is twin right? sister yeah. and an older sister. Yeah, That's my right. older sister kind of paved the way. My my parents are New Yorkers, but we didn't live in the city. Um, okay. But my older sister went to NYU, so she was there when she was like 17. And I definitely, I was like a sports nerd like I definitely couldn't have handled New York City at 17 but at like 22 I was like okay um but I I I never had any background in performing or anything like that but I had done like some improv the last year of college and I was like oh I always wanted to be a teacher so I was like my mom's a teacher my older sister's a professor like I was like oh I'll teach you know like I like being around people I love books. I don't know. You know what I mean? I was 22. <laughs> I'm really interested in that because that, like the, the, the decisions we make that we've, not that the decisions have been made for us, but almost the groundwork has been laid that you may as well, I guess that's what yeah. we do and your horizons are what you imagine they are. Yeah. I just, you know, everyone taught in my family, my aunt, my uncle, my mom was a teacher. 
Like, you know what I mean? I just, and I love people. I love learning. I knew I was good in, in front of people, you know? So I thought, ah, I'll get them fired up about books, you know? Well, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, so then when I was in New York City, I thought, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give my master plan at 22 with literally like negative $2 was I'm going to try to do some improv because I loved improv. And I'll like muck about in the city for a couple of years and then I'll go to grad school, you know, because I, you know, I knew two things when I moved to New York City. One, that um, it would be a day-to-day financial struggle. So it would be all about the city and like kind of finding myself and enjoying the city. Um, And there would be no like, oh, I'm going to take a vacation or I'm going to like, you know what I mean? Like, and and it, it was, I waited tables and just kind of got through it. Um, and also that like, I was going to try to live for a couple years before settling in on a career or whatever. Um, so the improv led me to New York comedy club. Um, I, I, I auditioned, got into this, this troupe. I mean, it was so bad. I mean, really it was like bad news bears of improv. (laughs) And then, um, it was like, you know, 6 PM shows at New York comedy club but it was still fun. You know, you were like 22, 23. It was just, you were meeting people. It was just, it was funny. It was fun. You know what I mean? It was like, you just, I just felt like so alive because I felt so in college. I felt like it was just this conservative, I mean, academically it was fantastic, but it was just not my people. Let's just Mm -hmm. say it that way. It was just not my people. So in New York city, I was like, Oh my God, my people. And at the same time weaving in, I was trying to figure out if I was gay. I mean, I was so gay. But you know what I mean? You know, I was like, I don't know, you know. So it was this tumultuous, like, you know, I felt so lucky to be New York City. I mean, so it was kind of these, it just, it was like this time of just completely like, what am I doing personally? What am I doing professionally? I'm in New York City. It was amazing. It was fantastic. I mean, it was terrifying and traumatic and I drank more gin that I think I'd ever knew I could drink. Um, and then you just kind of find your way, but that's how it started. So I was at, I would do improv shows at New York comedy club. Okay. And then I would stay cause I'd never even heard of stand up. Literally. I'd never heard of stand up comedy and I would stay and it would be like an eight o'clock show. And I'd be like, Oh my God, this is awesome. Who, and what, by what, the way, go on. Sorry. I, w- I was just gonna say New York comedy club at the time, not now was the worst comedy club in the history of comedy clubs. <laughs> so I was delighted by the worst stand-up comedy maybe ever delivered. Oh, my God. I was going to ask you what kind of acts were there, but it might not be great to name them Terrible. now that we've established that. Okay. And, and in all fairness, I don't even know who these people are, but it didn't matter. Every, you got to start yeah. somewhere. I started there. You know what I mean? So it, it wasn't even – maybe they went on to be famous comedians. I couldn't even tell you. Sure. It was just bad because then I started – going to other clubs and watching. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> then you'd see like, you know, Judy Gold and Su- Susie Essman and Jim Gaffigan. And you're like, who are these, who are these idiots that I've been watching? In New York? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but they were professionals and whatever, but yeah. And did you, when you were watching the, the lesser, the lesser comics, the kind of the entry, like the, at yeah. the time of your entry to it, did you think, hey, if these people can do it, I can do it. Did you have a sense that, of of them being good or bad did you have a sense of like this looks possible to a to a level yeah i did i guess i was i was very like 
I thought like, wow, that's pretty amazing that these people can get up and do that. I definitely had a level of like respect and admiration, but at the same time I was like, what they're saying is garbage, (laughs) you know what I mean? But like, and then, but then someone would get up, I mean, really it was like kind of filthy and not like my thing. I just remember being like, oh, you know what I mean? Mm. But like sort of delighted by the profession, but like, "Mm." and then you, then someone would go up and you're laughing so hard and you're like, oh, you could see you could see, I was like, well, I feel like I could get in there and do some of this. So I think it's actually like the best way to start when you know, it's like, I didn't know how good it could be. You know what I mean? I think it would be so much more intimidating if I was like, I want to be a standup. And I went to Caroline's and saw these headliners every weekend. I would be like, well, there's no way I can do that. You know what I mean? So in a way it's kind of nice just to see people maybe just starting out or at a lower level. Cause then you're like, well, Maybe yeah. I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit more possible. So so what was the first kind of bit that you what was the first bit that you did and what was the first good bit that you did? I I just remember I remember I went up one time, I dragged my best friend. She's still my best friend, thank God. <laughs> um I dragged her to your comedy club. It was like, you know, an eight o'clock show. You had to bring a bunch of people. And I remember I definitely ate it. Um, I remember having a joke of like, how much fun would it be like to be stalked, but like not in a, like in a horrible way. It was just like, it would be exciting and you'd have to solve a crime. And then I remember delivering it going, this sounds terrible, (laughs) (laughs) but that's the only thing I really remember. But I remember being like, this isn't going well, but how fun is this? Yeah. You know, I just remember being like okay, I'm going to have to stop this and figure out how to do this, but I want to do it again. And so I stopped. That was one night, stopped, maybe two nights, and didn't do it again. I didn't do it again for six months. Okay. And in those six months, I started like, you know, the nerd fest research. And that's why New York City is the greatest place on earth because, well, for 800 million reasons, but for stand-up, you get to see the best of the best. Yeah. And if you tell people you're a comic they're usually, or starting out or whatever, they're usually really cool about you sitting in the back of the room, you mm-hmm. know? And then I just started watching this comedy and it was just the best thing on earth. And it was so inspiring and awesome. And, um, I mean, I pretty much, now that I'm friends with Judy Gold, I've told her this so many times, but I basically like just followed her. Yeah. <laughs> I, just would, like, I would just like, and her and Susie Essman and, I, you know, like the, these were these women, they had it twice as hard and they were just killing it every night. And Jim Gaffigan, I just was obsessed with him. And, um, I became really good friends with Tom Papa through his wife, Cynthia, well, girlfriend at the time we were waiting tables. So I, you know, then I just sort of like, then yeah. you meet these professionals. And then six months later I came back and did a set and, um, I remember one bit was about Jenny McCarthy. I don't know. It was stupid, I, but it it worked. And I thought, okay, maybe did, I should really try this. Do, did you, looking back, do you know what elements of what you do now were already apparent then? Like if we saw those, mm. if we saw you, like I, I listened to Deep Dive on Spotify, your latest special, which was fantastic. Um, like if we saw that, compared to those first year, your first year of gigging, would you be able to trace bits of it? You were like, well, I definitely had that then. I, I think, 
I think my energy level and like enthusiasm for whatever I was, and also just like the the deep levels of sarcasm, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, I mean, like that was like growing up, like everyone, everything was like so sarcastic, you know what I mean? So I think, I think some of that is, you know, was always there, you know, um, whatever I was writing about, I was thoroughly convinced it was going to work and it was fun, you know, um, half the time it wasn't, but I think that level of like kind of commitment probably was there. Um, but you know, that's the beauty of stand up. Like if you just hang in there, I always say this, if you just hang in there and kind of just grow up as a human, you know, like I had to grow up, um, then it gets really fun, really fun. Talk to me about that. I, I totally agree with that, but just flesh that out for us. What sort of thing? Because I imagine there'll be someone listening to this who's 22, been going for a year, and yeah. they'll be like, "What is like?" I feel like I know what you mean, but can you articulate a bit more about what you mean about that richness of of growing up and what difference that makes? Well, if you're 22 <laughs> and you're listening to this, buckle up, <laughs> <laughs> bring some snacks. It's going to be a long haul. Um, I always say to like young comics, my two pieces of advice are have a, the world's best personal life and try not to drink before you go on. <laughs> <laughs> the rest is not, is not, you write, it's the same, the preparation for a 22 year old is the same preparation I'll do for a Zoom show tomorrow. Yeah. You write some shit out. Yeah. You say it. Yeah. Some of it works. You write some more, like, you know what I mean? Like that doesn't change. So you're, but I, I think what I mean, it's just when you're starting out, everything is so stressful and precious. And, and if, if, if you, if you miss a joke, it's the end of the world. It's, I, I remember the great thing about New York is you can walk it out, right? You can walk out your life, but you can seriously work out some really, walk out some really bad sets. I'd be doing stand up at stand up New York on 78th street. I lived in Chelsea. I'd, there was nights I'd walk 50 blocks, you know? <laughs> and by the time I got to my apartment an hour later, I'd be like, oh, I'm okay. But that 50 blocks, I was just like, oh, I, I, I'm also just quit. I, I, this is a word. I don't, you know what I mean? And you spiral, spiral out. Um, but it's so much pressure, you know? There, it's, it's, it's like you want everything to be perfect and... And you're just, I remember like a, like a, in my twenties, it was very observational. I, I didn't, I had, I had, I was trying to figure out if I was the whole gay element. So I, I couldn't talk about that on stage because I didn't know it. You know, I had to grow into that. I had to grow into my sexuality. I had to grow into these opinions. I had to grow into being myself. And then once you start growing up and you're more comfortable, you can let life fly off your shoulder. You can let your, you have a bad set, you go, mm, I had a bad set. I mean, but that's huge. Like, yeah. I don't know if I can, it, 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 like, the importance of letting a bad set roll off you is is becomes it, it just becomes night it's night and day it, it it makes your life and your profession so much more enjoyable and when you hit that level i don't know what it is for people 5 years 10 years whatever then you just feel like okay i'm i'm i can enjoy this you yeah. know what i mean like i can i don't know you just it, it, as you 
as you grow up, you go, you get more comfortable. So you go, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try that. It was eight years into stand up before I said I was gay on stage because I wasn't comfortable saying I was gay in real life. Yeah. So how could I bring that to the stage? You know? And how was it? Talk so, to me about that gig, about the, about the first time you said you were gay on stage. Like, does that, did, did that, because we might look at it now and go, well, the audience won't care at all. But obviously you care if it's a thing you never said before. Like which, which gears are different when you're stepping up there, knowing like, you know, this is one of those moments, yeah. like in the movie of your life as a big moment, right? Huge moment. I mean, it was, I think it was probably, I, I mean, it's a different, it's still extremely hard but i think it's a different world now in comedy where if you're like i'm gay people would be like okay Mm -hmm. but not necessarily back then not that i'm 80 but it was it was still mm, not great but there was a comedy show on wednesday nights um at the starlight lounge in the east village which doesn't exist anymore it's so heartbreaking it's on 11th uh 11th street and like maybe avenue a or first and um so it was a gay bar, right? So it was like, you know, bar in the front and then kind of drag show performance space in the back. And my friend Keith Price ran it. And it was it was literally like this bridge between comedy world and, and gay culture. And it was the safest place in the world <laughs> to say you were gay. <laughs> And that's what I needed. You know, some people probably had a lot more confidence and a lot more, I'm gay, whatever, who cares? You know, I did not have that, you know, so to be able to perform and, and be like the truest version of yourself was epic. It was epic. It was so, you know, like I remember being like, blah, 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 you know, and I'm gay. And the crowd was like, and I was like, oh my God, you know coming out all over again it was like i remember coming out to my best friend carrie and i and i was like almost crying and i was like you know i'm gay and 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 or no no it was my friend adrian first on the phone and and she screamed and i go and she goes this is so exciting (laughs) (laughs) and i was like okay it's gonna be fine so then you say you're gay on stage and the crowd explodes you're like oh okay it's gonna be fine you know like it was amazing did you feel and traumatic? And I drank seventeen gins after, but it was okay. <laughs> did Did you feel that the first time you said it on stage, did you have material about it? So did you yes. have to kind of lead yeah. into it with material that you had never said on stage, mm, feeling yeah, like, was, oh god, was, this yeah. revelation, the material has to be good enough to back this up. I can't come out yeah. and then do some duff gags about being gay. Yeah. <laughs> I can't be like, anyway, I'm gay. Did you see the road sign when you're leaving the city? Um, no, it was raw. It was raw. But it was sort of in this like wonderful way. It gave, like maybe eight years in, it's, it's, it's sort of like refreshed. It was almost like starting over. Yeah. So it, as hard as that was, it was exciting because, you know, with stand-up, you go through ruts and you go through... Am I ever going to write a new joke again? Do I have to put out a new album? What should I do? Do I, like you know what I mean? There's so much self motivation you have to go through. So, like in eight years in, to be able to almost like have a whole other element to stand up was very exciting, very scary, mm. 
but very exciting because you have new material. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I just right. part of my life that I didn't even, <laughs> I couldn't even talk about like that terrible date or the yeah. breakup or, you know, being like, I'm coming, I, I come out to my parents. What was that like? I mean, there's comedy in literally everything. So it's just this whole other world that I could explore. And to this day, that has been the, the the best part of stand up for me is talking now about my personal life yes. about relationships about gay stuff about political you know what i mean stuff that really really resonates you know and for the 7 years it was basically fun observations sure you know sure. so this is erin a joy to talk to her of course uh, and uh, just lovely to have chatted to her after her gig and immediately hit it off and we go, oh, we're going to become friends. And she said out loud, we're going to become friends. And you meet someone like that and you go, oh, yeah, fantastic. Um, so check out her albums on Spotify. Deep Dive is up there. You can go to erinkfoley.com to find out more about her. She's got two or three albums up there, one of which I've not heard before. So I shall get onto that. You can follow her on social media at Erin Foley Comic. And we're just going to launch straight back in. Sometimes I've got plenty to say. I'll save that for the post Um, But all I'm... All I would normally spruik to you now is to join the Insiders Club if you're not already with this particular episode. That feels a bit cheeky because there are no extra bits with this. But there are uh, extra files available, extra podcast stuff. Some of them, I think we've got an extra 30 or 40 minutes from uh, recent pod guests, including Paul Sinner, Gary Goldman. Um, there's a bit there from Larry Dean uh, and all of the stuff pre-pandemic as well. Hundreds and hundreds of uh, of. I can't say hundreds and hundreds of episodes, but I think more than a hundred by now. Um, so you can join the Insiders Club at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. And it is, I think, the best way to support the podcast, not just for me, because it gives me a sense of uh, an income from the podcast and some sort of regularity to it, but certainly for you, because, and people still do occasionally make one-off donations. You can still do that at comedianscomedian.com slash donate. Very few people do now because at least this, that doesn't get you any extra stuff, whereas this gets you access to the Slack workspace where other ComCom heads, that's not what they're called, that's not what we call ourselves, um, but other fans of the show from ComCom Pleasists to relatively newbie listeners um, congregate and can sort of discuss strategy and guests and things like that. Um, I might at one point turn it into a Discord, but for now it's a Slack app. And if that sentence doesn't mean anything to you, then there is nothing for you to worry about. Um, but also access to all of the, the stuff on the private feed. And if we are heading into a, let's not use the phrase massive second surge, but um, if things continue as they are for the next six months or maybe longer, then um, I will start to use that more and more, I think, to to sort of put little extra extra strands on we may even get back to doing comedy critique on there because that was a really fun thing to do and to be honest although it was a faff at the time i'm spending a lot less time driving so i have probably got time for it so uh, all of that and more at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders and comedianscomedian.com is your hub for everything that i'm doing including all the fun stuff i'm doing on twitch the infinite sofa chops comedy club and occasionally on wednesdays think tank which is sort of like getting a bunch of disparate strangers in a room and getting them all to do a bank heist but virtually, and kind of made up, but kind of real. Anyway, all of that at twitch.tv slash Stu Goldsmith. That's enough from me. Let's get back to the wonderful Erin Foley. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Do you have to do any work to get an audience on board? Not just with your sexuality, but like in terms of the, when I think back to that gig at South by, like it was, it was such, you had such control of the room. And that's one of those things that's really hard won. I think, you know, learning to get everyone on board. Um, did you have to, has that ever been a struggle for you to kind of take the audience with you? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I think that's, an, that's another like, you know, sort of like just for comics is like just hang in there because it takes all those gigs. It takes, you know, as a female, like I, I like I hate saying like I hate when people are like, oh, you're you're a gay comic. You're like, I'm going to I just just call me a comic. I happen to be gay. I happen to be a woman, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the the reality of it is when you're touring and just I'm just talking about the United States there are some terrible places in our yeah. country um, that are on the news every night. Um, and a woman doing comedy is a big, like, what? And then gay is like, Jesus, right? But so it took me a lot of years to figure out, how am I going to bridge that? Um, how, I'm gonna, how am I going to make everybody feel like I've got this, you know? So... It took a lot of experimenting. I would call it the BGR, the big gay reveal. (laughs) And I would say like, okay, I'm going to get them laughing. If I can, I hope 15, 20 minutes in BGR, right? Okay. Okay. (laughs) And then, you know, it was this running joke between my friends and I have just like, what's up Houston, you know, and I take the mask off and here's a gay lady. Um, But then I found... Then I found like the energy in the show would just get so much better because I was finally comfortable in being myself. Yeah. So then I moved the BGR up. I would just every show I'd move I'd move the gay reveal up. And I felt like it it if I addressed it quickly and in the beginning, the shows were so much better. Um for me as a as a performer it was like this weight had been lifted there's this psychological component where the straight women in the audience are like oh i can relax now you're gay that's a whole okay. other and then the men are like oh i can't fuck her it's totally fine um <laughs> i can maybe maybe i'll listen to her like it's i'm telling you it's fascinating it's really fa- so then it became 
if I'm in areas of the country, now I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to our horrifying states. We have so many, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm still going into, you know, um, a more progressive area, but there are areas that are like, well, half the crowd is cool. Half the crowd is probably not. Mm. But if I just do it with enough energy and confidence and, and so they are at ease, I think if the audience is at ease because you are at ease, then you can pretty much sell them anything, you know, it's, and that's again, growing up being, getting more confidence as a human being, because then you go, yeah, I'm a gay man, I'm a woman, I'm gay, who cares, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then if you don't care, then they don't care. Yeah. It's almost like assertiveness in, in the yeah. street. I remember I used to be really, I was a very scared teenager. I was really like, I, I got mugged once. It was the most pathetic mugging. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> oh my God, you have to tell what happened. But, oh God, it was it's someone... So I can't even really remember. I remember being in the, the top park in Levington Spa where I grew up, which is like the most worst place to get mugged. It's the most middle class, middle of the road place <laughs> to get pathetically mugged by someone probably five years older than me at most who kind of asked me for money. And I said, no. And he went, no, go on. Give it like there was no there was no even physical yeah. threat. I was just like, well, fair <laughs> enough then. You know, it was, it was deeply pathetic. But I think either as a result, probably not even as a result of that, that probably happened because I would walk around vibing that I was a victim because I just grew up scared. I just quite a nervy, anxious, in, internal landscape person. And um and then years later, someone said to me, oh, you do, the problem with you is you're just, you're vibing. You're just behaving like you're a victim. So you need to sort of change the way that you walk and, and just then you don't look like such a victim and you don't get any shit from anyone. I, I just wonder if it's a, a version of that. It's almost like assertiveness in that when you go to a less progressive room, you just have to, it, it's almost like you don't even need to tackle it if you just kind of breathe out. Yeah. You know I mean? No, that's interesting. First of all, you need to do a show called Middle Class Mugging. I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's your next show. Um, no, that's really interesting because along uh, this sort of sentence is just popping in my head. I haven't thought about it for a while, but it has like right when I was probably maybe a little bit after college, when I started doing stand up, someone said to me, oh, I, I think I said, like, I can't believe I'm, like, doing stand-up or something. And I don't know exactly why. I'm probably not explaining this well. But she said, oh, like, maybe you're, you're – it's something like maybe you're putting yourself out there because, like, um, it, it's it's sort of like you're you're in control of how you're, you're being seen. Yeah. You know, in, in a way. It was much more articulate because yes. I just remember this moment being like, oh, like – this is, I'm presenting myself this way mm-hmm. because maybe I don't feel this way or I'm, you know what I mean? But you see me this way and I'm like probably scared of that. So I'm going to present myself. I'm going to take control and present myself this way. Yeah. It was kind of interesting because I was like, you know, I mean, I was like 22. It was a hot mess. Of course I was trying to present myself some way. It, I, I was internally, I was having a, you know, a nervous breakdown every single day. You know what I mean? I was like, who am I? I have no idea who I am. I've like, you know what I mean? I'm like, the gay thing was just mind blowing, you know? So yeah, it's like you're, you, you are trying to take control of how people see you and how you see yourself. Yeah. And when he, when I, I, I described you to someone uh, yesterday, I said, oh, I'm going to talk to her in Foley. You'd love her. She's fantastic. And I said, she's flinty. I said, you'd, you'd love her stuff. She's kind of flinty. And then I, I caught myself and I said, is that, is that gendered? 
Am I just saying that because, like, in the way that someone you might describe a, a very in control woman as bossy, which is like a less a less positive way of saying it. Not that you're bossy. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm just drawing a parallel. Yeah, yeah. But I wonder whether flinty. Like, I wouldn't really use flinty about a guy, so maybe that's not a great term. But do you what know does what I mean? Flinty. Mean? Fl- flinty. I thought that was an American expression. Um, no, I'm. But I'm gonna. I'm I gonna would, totally take well, it. Well, like like flint, like with a with a hard edge. Like, do you oh, know what I mean? Like, certainly okay. in your comedy, I think you're you. You have a, yeah, you have a kind of flinty edge, like a sort of, not that you're like a shock comic but at all, but that you, you just like, you have a kind of don't mess with me energy. Yeah. Even if the stuff is, you know, that lovely stuff about the gay crews and, you know, the, the yeah. that act out you do, of, you do some great act outs as well. You really commit to a bit, which I really love. Um, but like of Pam and Diane being the lesbian couple approaching yeah. the open door of the on the gay cruise, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. And I'll let people listen to that for themselves. But it, like it, it's very warm and sometimes silly stuff, but it's kind of it has a kind of don't fuck with me kind of edge. Do you think? I think probably because I've had to protect myself you know and when in the last like 10 years in LA at the first Wednesday of the month I host a a gay show at the improv and it's been the 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 best thing I've ever done and when you host a show you know there there's this weird backwards thing in our country I always say like Europeans like you guys do it so much better than we do the fact that you put the most, we put the most inexperienced comic yeah. to host the show is completely insane. Yeah. It, it, it seriously, like when I went to Montreal and I saw, um, this was years and years ago, I like went to a gala, you know, mm-hmm. and whoever's show it was, <laughs> they came out first. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. well, yeah, they should, you know, and they present the show. I was like, oh my God, of course, right? So when I started doing the show, I wanted to perform every month. So I would do a spot. And then I was like, wait a minute, this is, this is insane. Like I'm bringing, I'm asking people to come. I'm curating this show. It doesn't matter if I have to headline the show. Like I want to, I want to present the show And that first 10 minutes is so awkward. you know, people are getting their drinks, you know, it's, it's a hellscape, but you have, I think all those years of doing that, it was like, you have to command the audience. You have to go, okay, I know everybody worked in LA. Nobody works. I know everybody (laughs) shake off the day of unemployment, you know, or writing or whatever, (laughs) thinking about yourself and let's all come together as a show. You know what I mean? So if, and, but you have to, in order to them to, I think, buy into the other part of your selling, you have to, you know, I don't ever feel like that flinty in real life at all, you mm-hmm. know, but on stage, I feel like I, I am almost forced, I'm almost forced to, you know? Mm. And I think also because our country is also, I'm not, I'm in a bad place with the U S because of what's happening. Let's just of put course. it that way. But yeah, uh, we, we should do, have, we should timestamp this. This is July the 21st. The USA still currently yes. exists as a country. Currently, <laughs> if you're hearing this and we're underwater, you're welcome. Um, no, I mean, there's just wonderful places in the, in the country to do stand up, but you know, it is, it is very still homophobic and it's, and it's very much, you know, misogynistic. I mean, you could just see that from Hillary election. It, it, they're just, it's just like changing, finally, hopefully changing of the guard where 
people aren't so surprised to see a woman doing stand up. But when I tell you, it's still like that. Like mm. I've been on shows where, um, you know, it's like four dudes, then me, and then whoever's after. The show's going great. These guys are killing it. They're awesome. I'm so psyched. I go up there and I go, how's everyone doing? The air just goes out of the room. Mm. <laughs> I haven't said anything, you know? So now my fix is I go, oh, wait, what happened? Did something yeah. happen? Did something yeah. happen by the time he introduced me and I came up? You know what I mean? Like, so you're, 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 you feel like you're performing like this, you know? Yeah. So I think that's... And then you just try to relax as the show goes on. Jeez, that's such bullshit, isn't it? It's very well explained. And I think that's a very, I can see how that trick works. Do you know what I mean? Oh, not that trick. Yeah. But that, I can see how that approach works to basically yeah. call them on it. Yeah. You, ha- you have to acknowledge it's the only way because it will aggravate me. You know, I want to be relaxed. I want to be having fun. I want to be connecting. I like to see the audience. I don't like a darked out, like, I, do, I, I love to see people's faces. I like, I love that connection. So I, but you also have to say like, what, what just, what just happened? What, what just, you know what I mean? Not all the time, but a lot, like a lot of time, you know? Mm. And then when I, when I tour, I'll call the club before and I go, I know you're, I'm performing with two dudes, put a woman in or I'm not mm. coming, you mm-hmm. know? And so at least a guest spot, hopefully a feature, you know what I mean? It's cause it's, it's just feels like you're battling and hopefully it'll, you know, it has gotten better, but it just feels like it's still 1950s out there. You know what I mean? It's just kind of bizarre. So I think that's probably where some of the flintiness comes. Yeah. See the, 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 another aspect of your work I really enjoy is the, the warmth and I loved that it's a, you have a you have a good line in kind of sarcastic warmth. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereby what you're saying is sarcastic, but you're clearly warmed underneath it. And I noticed on on deep dive, you're you have almost have like an opener, which is which I think I, I saw you in Texas as well about like um. So I live with my twin sister. We have three cats because sometimes life just works out. It's a beautiful joke. What I really loved is it, you don't it's it felt like an opener and it got such a punch, but you you didn't deliver it until 15 minutes in which I just thought was a classy move. You know what I mean? It's like you've yeah. done lots and lots of funny stuff. And then it was like, now we can begin. Yeah. You know I mean? like, like Structurally, I thought that was interesting. I don't really know what that question is or whether that is a question, but. Uh... No, I mean, it's a balance, right? It's like, I don't know. I love, it's always a manipulation. It's always like you're looking at a set and that's why I think it's like, I don't know if it feels like you can be doing it 20 years, but sometimes it feels like it's night one. You know what I mean? There's always something I'm like, I always say this to my partner, Sarah, she's probably so sick of hearing it. But every time I had taken a real long break from stand up this past, maybe nine, 10 months, okay. some of it was forced from the pandemic, but yeah, right. I, you were, you were yeah. already on a kind of stand up break before it all, before yeah. stand up exploded. Okay. Yeah. And so I just literally got back into it maybe two weeks ago. And when I say got back into it, I called some friends and I said, we're going to Zoom at three o'clock and we're all going to do 10 minutes. And this is how I'm going to start to do stand up again. Yeah. Because it felt terrifying even after 20 years. But when you're, what I say to her and I, and I've done it two Mondays in a row and I come out of the bedroom from doing stand up, which is a bizarre sentence. And I say to her, this is what I always say. Every time I do stand up, I learn something. Mm-hmm. Every time, every set, I go, all oh, right, I got to put that before. I got to, 
you know, like I, I have this thing where I want every sentence to be perfect and I go, just talk like a normal person. You know, like I was doing it yesterday and I go, that doesn't, I, I don't even say that. You know what I mean? So just go back into the room, put your recorder on and talk it out. You know what yeah, I mean? But like yeah, you're yeah. constantly, you know, where do I put that? Where do I put that? You know what I mean? So that took you know, me, it's, that it's took me so long to, to spot that I was regularly doing that. It's probably... 10 years ago, I realized I was just going into this habit of fine tuning things that weren't good enough yet, things that weren't funny enough yet, and changing where the comma went and literally yeah. typing out. And then suddenly my job is to learn some things I've written and deliver them like an actor. That's not yeah. my job. I was doing that for so long. Yeah. No, I, that's, that's why, again, like it's like just hang in there. If you just... All this stuff from like, let's say, I'm just, these are arbitrary numbers from like zero to 10 years, right? Yeah. You're just, oh, this and this. And then you just slowly click over of like, wait a minute. I think I can just pick up the microphone and talk. <laughs> 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 and really that's like, you know, like, like the example yesterday, there's four of us on Zoom and my friend Cynthia goes, okay, just for like the first three, three or four minutes, we'll just go around and just talk about your day. Just, mm -hmm. just talk about where you're at in life, your day, three or four minutes. So blah, 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 blah. Then we go into our like sets, you know, the three or four minutes was 800 times funnier than what yeah, we'd course. all prepared. Of course. You know what I mean? So that's it. But like, again, it's another lesson where you go, yeah, I just gotta, you know, cause you yeah. think it's. So yeah, it just it's mind it's mind boggling. I, I think that's one of my favorite things about stand up. Looking back at the last fifteen years I've been doing it, is like although great gigs are obviously fantastic, they're electrifying, that feeling doesn't last as long as it used to, you know, but it's still yeah. there, it's still good in the moment. Um I had a kind of a big realization of what turns me on about stand up, and part of it is that it it is an impossible like it's it's never finished. You can always be traveling, hopefully, rather than arriving, you know. And I, yes, I, sometimes yeah. I look at sometimes I look at, my, at myself and my career, and I think, do I just think that because I haven't graced the the stratospheric heights that some of my peers have? Is that just the thing you think when you're not up there? I'm like, no, I genuinely, I love that it's never finished. I love that the work is never done, and it's I can just constantly tinker with it. Oh, but the thing is, you have to love to tinker. Yeah. It, you know, if, if you're out, like it, it sounds cheesy, but like if your motives of stand up, and now this is sort of a difference between New York and LA, but LA has gotten so much better with, with stand up. Um, if your motives are to get on a sitcom, you're going to be, you, you are going to have a very hard time doing stand up. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You have, like, you have to be, you quite have, you have to be very nerdy. You have to be like a wordsmith. Like, you have to love the challenge of, like, oh my God, that one word is going to change it. If I flip that, like, it is extremely nerdy. I don't think people realize how we obsess over just one word. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, that's never going to change. I mean, I, I remember being at, at Gotham. I don't know if I was still living in New York. Maybe I was. And Seinfeld, and just for the record, obviously huge respect for Seinfeld. Not, he's not my stand-up. He's mm -hmm. not, I don't, I just don't, not my thing. But this was a huge, huge lesson, and he's insanely talented. Um, 
he had taken a break, right? He sort of retired. The show's over. He did like the B movie, wasn't doing stand up, and just so it was maybe five years or something, or maybe three, I don't know, whatever. I'm at I'm at Gotham doing a set, come off stage, and they're like, "Oh, Seinfeld's coming in," and I was like, "Oh, wow," you know. Um, he comes up on stage. I think that was his first show back or second show back. The place goes, you know, nuts. And I was like, like, I got chills. I was like, that's so cool, you yeah. know? And he said a couple things funny, oh, I'm back, you know, whatever. Audience, silent. And now he has to begin. <laughs> and now he has to make people laugh. You know what I mean? So you're like, it doesn't matter. You can have the, the most epic success and... yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. 940. What do you got? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that doesn't like, you know what I mean? Like that's so mind boggling. So I was thinking, I was thinking about that the other day about movie stars and about how you sort of think once you're a movie star, once you've been like, say, Serian McKellen, right? He's yeah. Magneto and Gandalf and, you know, God yeah. knows what else. And that's just in the last do whatever it is, 10 years. Yeah. Um, even though he is those things, he can't be them now. They're memories for him. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like we yeah. think, oh, such and such is a movie star, like as if they can just walk onto a set now and be a star again. He's like, no, that's that movie happened and now they're desperately trying to find the yeah. next thing. So I suppose there's, yeah. I don't know, there's some parallel there. I know. I think, I think another thing too is um, I think a huge challenge in stand-up is – to separate, like, what's your definition of success? That, that'll lead you down. It, people have different, you know, you have, you have different goals. And I think for me, as I've, I, I stopped the, the last couple of years, I stopped having fun. Uh, the traveling was just awful. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so burnt out. And I kind of forced myself to do the last album, which I'm very, very excited I did because I felt like I couldn't even do another album. I mean, I was just gone. I was literally like, I'm not joking, phoning it in for what felt like two years. And so then I was like, then I got hired to do a, a writing gig. On this really fun show, it was so it was so fun. What, and what's I the thought, name of the show? We we don't have it over here, and I know it uh, was one day at a time. One day at a time. It was really loved. It was kind of like um, it was was it a Cuban American family, and there was yeah. lots of like the yeah. the main character was an army vet or something. It was, was so great. It was they did three seasons on Netflix, and I got hired for season four, which just aired on Pop TV. So. Okay. No one can see it, even in America. Okay. I mean, it, it, so they're trying to figure out what other channel to put it on. I mean, it's such a wonderful show. It was such a wonderful There was experience. so much love for it when I was Googling it. And yeah. I was like, oh, wow, this is one of those cherished things. Yeah. Yeah. It was just so amazing to be a, a part of it. But um, I think, I don't exactly remember where I was going with this, but it was just, I was super, I just remember being like just so fried. And oh, that's what it was. I thought to myself, I may never do stand up again. And I don't, honestly, if I keep writing, which I want to do, I don't want to tour, you know, right now, this is, this is how I'm feeling. And so it makes you really think about success mm-hmm. is, is touring the, the United States, um, doing festivals, doing TV spots, doing albums. Is that, is that successful enough? <laughs> is that, did I, am I a success? You know? Yeah, yeah. 
And so if you think, oh, no, I'm not because I don't have my own show. I don't, I'm not on billboards. I'm not selling out arenas. And I'm not just saying this. I don't, like I did a couple galas from Montreal, miserable. I was literally <laughs> miserable. It, it felt, I couldn't see the crowd. There was a gazillion people. I was just uncomfortable. I, I, will, do, I will do a small club and, and do seven shows a night and have so much more fun than a Montreal Gala. <laughs> yeah. That's just for me, though. That's so for me, looking back, if I never did stand-up again, in my, for me, it was a huge, it was a huge success. Mm-hmm. I don't, because those are my, my goals. That wasn't like you, I think you can be a lot happier in stand up if you really come to terms with what you can deliver, what, what makes you happy. Really? Like if my goal was Madison square garden, then I have failed. My goal was not Madison square garden. Maybe it was when I was starting out, but then you get along and you're like, I don't know. I, I don't connect with that, you know? So do I connect with, five shows at the the Comedy Attic, one of my favorite clubs in Bloomington to Indiana, and packing the place and having the best weekend ever, completely. I can't, I also can't sustain that because it's just not enough money, you know? So, you know, you just have to, you have to figure out what your, where your line is. And, and, and I think if the older I get, the more and more honest with myself I am. And that, that has been very, I don't know. It's, it's brought me a lot of kind of ease, like a little bit more comfort of like, Oh, I don't need to, if, if that's your goal, that's your goal. But like, if that's not your goal, then I'm quite satisfied where I left off. And in terms of writing for one day at a time, what was, had you written on other shows before? I had written, um, not full time, just what they call punch up. So you'll take okay. the take the script and punch it up. So I've done that for a couple of network shows and for people's pilots and stuff. But the last couple of years, I've been really trying to write as many, you know, write a bunch of multicam, single cam. So you know, if I got an interview, I'd be like, okay, here's my here's my script. So I think that's probably why I was a little burnt out with stand up too, because I was doing double time with the writing. You know, yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, so it was, that was my first full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> Literally just like a job. I've never gone to an office ever, and you know? How did it, how did it compare in terms of you using your comic voice in a different way? A comic voice. I mean, this is a real kind of root one question, if you'll forgive it, just because I don't really write for other people ever. I've written yeah. for myself and I've got my own systems for how I write for myself and I try and spot things I'm thinking that I haven't noticed that I'm thinking and stuff like that. I feel like I've got a system. And whenever I talk to comics who are like, I did some writing for a TV show, I always think, how? <laughs> how did you yeah. do that? Like, what's the what's the starting point for that? What's the, you know, like, yeah, you, particularly if it's in a team, they're like, we're writing on this scene and we're all going to like pitch sentences for it or what? Like, what's the, how do you deal with a blank page? for TV writing as opposed to stand-up writing. Yeah. I think it's easier to start with your own blank page and create your own, you know, story and, and write your own spec scripts. Um, that's almost, that's a skill that you, it takes a very long time, obviously. But when you jump into a show, yeah, I mean, that is, there's two teenagers, you know, I'm like, I hate teenagers. <laughs> um, I like these two, but I, I, you know. um, 
I, I wouldn't I wouldn't write a show with kids. I yeah. you know what I mean. I I love parents. I love that, but I don't. You know what I mean. I don't have. I don't. So. Yeah, I you just have to be, you have to like I had to work overtime. I watched every single episode multiple times. Um oh, wow. took tedious notes on every single episode. Um how they how they speak, what sensibilities they have. It, it was a it was like a class. You know, I had about a month before I started and every night I would do, you know, hours and hours or during the day I would do hours and hours of work and do stand up at night and uh just just with that show. That's and then nuts. furiously going over it. Yeah, yeah. You just you just go over it and you go over it and you go over it and you go, okay, he th- this is what this kid's interested in. You know, and, and the daughter was gay, so it was great. I can recycle some old gay jokes in there. You know? <laughs> but the mom is just stand out. You know, and it and it's so but the good thing is like the beauty of the room, there's ten people. So everybody does something great. Like we had four other women and they were um latinx so they have all those cultural references which are amazing i'm bringing like gay sarcasm to the table i'm you know what i mean so it was a real team and you never felt any pressure that you had to be you know it was year one for me and year one for a couple other people that you had to knock it out of the park because i'm i'm new Mm -hmm. however i'm also in my 40s so i'm like 15 years older than most new people in the room. Yeah. Okay. So it was like this weird thing of like, but I have all this life experience and I'm like at the top of my game in my other career, but now completely entry, entry level in this career. But the, but the good thing about that is like, you're like, well, I'm not going to like hold back from an idea or a joke because you know what I mean? I have all this life experience, you know what I mean? And then you just, you know, you just try to get your jokes in when you can and, you know, be respectful and take notes and try to learn and get a paycheck that's bigger than I've ever had in my yeah. entire life. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Whilst commuting rather than flying to Phoenix. Oh, yeah. It was a dream. It was a dream. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, again, it's this, what I say to her all the time you learn like the learning is like I felt like I had nothing to talk about I was so fried and then the pandemic hits and um not to go down this road but my dad passed away and oh, but so that sorry. was ex- that honestly like that was expected it wasn't COVID related or anything mm-hmm. and it was it was kind of it was just like a good thing it was you know it was just time and so all this really he was hysterical hysterically funny all this really funny stuff happened around his funeral and i was like is this happening right so i just and i just would clock it you know and then i think you know the last couple weeks i was like i think he would find it really funny if i talked about his funeral so i've been writing literally like how i'm getting back into stand-up is about a pandemic in my father's funeral (laughs) there is something there's something very poetic about that about like you know that's you've got that muscle now and when everything goes to shit that's there yeah you've got that yeah so i think it's just pretty hilarious that it took a pandemic and my dad's death and a zoom show to be like (laughs) you know what i'm excited about stand-up again (laughs) what would you we, we must wrap up what is the what is the the 
the pinnacle for you? If it's not Madison Square Garden, what is the, in terms of what we've been talking about, you know, finding what makes you happiest and what you view as success, there's that. And then there's also kind of having some goals in order that, you, I mean, yeah. or maybe, you know, I do sometimes think like, oh, I could, I could talk my, I could think my way into being so happy. I never needed to take any action, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> but like, what is, what, what for you would be success like the ultimate version of the the success that you need i th i think um because things have changed i i knew i wanted to get into this this writing world for a while you know i've always loved to write i've always been doing stuff and and i think what i thought was going to happen sort of happened i i was just genuinely so happy. Like I would go to work. I mean, these people have been working the whole time. You know what I mean? It's like, but we work in that. We have an entire different universe of the last 20 years. I would get in my car and go to work smiling, just like, just so excited that I had a desk. I had an office. Like it was like a kid in a candy store, you know? Now, if you've been schlepping to work for 20 years, you're probably not, but I, it was, I was, it was delight. It was delightful to have coworkers, to have mm -hmm. stability, to have this paycheck, you know, to come home to my partner. Um, it was just cause she moved, she moved from New York city to, to LA on February 1st. So, you know, it was just bananas. I was like, I think I caused the pandemic because I openly said out loud, I've never been happier, you know, and then boom, crashed the pandemic. So I, I think, I think if I can, you know, get back into this writing world, whether the show gets picked up or we have a network or another, you know, just kind of keep writing mm -hmm. and, and have that energy during the day and have that sense of camaraderie and you're laughing and it's so challenging. The writing is so difficult and challenging, but in a really good way. And then do stand up. The pressure then becomes off of stand up and I can do stand up because I love stand up. You know, I think that would be that's where I want to go. That's where I'm headed because I know I don't have it in me to keep going on the road and piecemealing shows together. Um, and what it takes to, to, to bring you to that next level for stand up where you're making a ton of money is to be so active on social media, to want to have your own sitcom. You have to be on TV. You have to be pushing yourself like that. And I just, I don't want that. You know what I mean? And so I'm at peace with that. And if I can write and do stand-up when I want to do stand-up, that would be absolutely fantastic. That would just, honestly, that would be a dream. So that was Erin. What a joy. What a joy. She's such a fantastic comic. You've got to give Deep Dive a listen. It is just so funny and punchy. Big, big jokes and, and such a sort of refreshing personality and such warmth and yes i'll say it flint flintiness flint let's just say flint um that was erin get catch up with her erinkfoley.com is her website and she is on social media at erin foley comic you can follow me at comcompod on twitter and instagram and you can uh you can email me info at comedianscomedian.com uh, and find out all the other stuff I'm uh, doing, including the child labour parenting podcast I've been doing with Sindhu V. We're on something like episode 18 now. We've had some bangers. And today we recorded a sensational episode with Amanda Donnett. 
a perinatal clinical psychologist uh, in Brisbane, Australia, also a friend of mine through this podcast. Um, and uh, it's just a sensational episode. Spoiler alert, she makes Sindhu cry. Sindhu V, Sindhu Titanium V uh, cries actual tears and in a good way as well. It's not, you know, she's not, <laughs> in, not, not in a mean way. Also a belter coming up with Ivo Graham. So loads to find out there. You can go to childlabourpod.com to find out all about that. And that's that. I'll give a little, um, oh, let's do some quick thanks and then a post humble. So thank you to Rob Smouten for the music, Nathan Wood for his fantastic editing skills, Jake Crossland for logging this episode, you for listening to it and sharing it with all of your many, many friends and important professional people that you know. Um, and to uh, Peter Dobbing, podcast consultant. And uh, and that's that. Post amble, oh, post amble in a second. Just before you go, uh, have a quick look at ComedyInsights.com. ComedyInsights.com. That's my new website for the uh, resilience and authenticity stuff I've been doing. This is, I suppose, tantamount to a soft launch or a soft relaunch. Um, I addressed 22 CEOs with a combined business turnover of something in the tens of billions about authenticity and what comedians can teach CEOs about authenticity. And I'm, uh, of course, still addressing lots of people about resilience and um, and what comics can teach your your staff about resilience, your employees about resilience. So have a little butchers at comedyinsights.com. And if that sort of thing interests you, then it is I'm uh, I'm available for those at the moment. I'm doing a few more of them than I have been. I'm up and running and I'd love for that to continue because it's a lot of fun. And also, it's just nice to feel like you're helping people. The working lunches are still on hiatus at the moment. I've done one of them uh, recently and it was very, very invigorating indeed. But it's just a matter of time at the moment. So as things, as I get more into the groove of uh, the Boutros being at big school, he did his, um, he's in the middle of his second ever full day at big school. Love the first one. Um, as I start to have a bit more of sort of regularity and routine, it's like a whole new phase. We're post-ambling now. We'll just keep going. So bye-bye if you were just listening to the episode. This is now the post-amble. Um, it's a whole new phase of life. It's a whole new phase of the lockdown because I sort of had to get accustomed to one particular version of what a an average week looked like um, with no live gigs. Now, there are one or two, but who knows if, if they'll survive the coming announcements today. Um, but also, it's kind of me trying to design my working week between doing episodes of this podcast, episodes of Child Labour, episodes of The Infinite Sofa on Twitch, Chops Comedy Club on Twitch, maybe Think Tank if we're doing more with that. Um, and, uh, it, it, yeah... So yeah, I might, I might, I might start doing more comedy critiques. I'm not sure, um, but it's quite fun to sort of. It's fun. I mean, it's an enormous privilege to be able to sort of look at your week and go, "I'll do that, that, and that. Then I'll do that, and that. Then I'll do that, and that." Um, I'm turning up, I think, on Russell po- uh, Russell Podcasts Kane later on. Russell Podcasts Kane uh, later this week. It's called Boys Don't Cry, and I don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know what you're talking about until you get on the show. So that's quite exciting, um, and I am. If you heard last week's post amble, still trying to come up with books that I've read that will make me sound clever so I can appear on Lucy Dancer's podcast. Um, I'm wittering now, but my point is very invigorating to be deciding uh, <coughs> to be deciding the to have the flexibility to decide one's calendar. And uh, yeah, that's not just trying to direct your website, really. That's all it is. And I, I guess there will be no excuse now that the Boutros is at school and I'm getting on with stuff in a slightly more efficient way than I have been. No excuse for not uh, radically updating the ComediansComedian.com website, which is nice, but 
I mean, if nothing else, it's an absolute pain in the arse for Nathan to upload episodes to. So we'll have to work out what we're going to do with that. What a fun, what a fun nightmare that's going to be. Um, that is all for now. Not really any therapy updates. I've made a few more overtures, but uh, not spoken to anyone yet. I did draft an email uh, to my former therapist of some five years ago, and then I haven't quite sent it yet because I sort of I suddenly thought, I mean, if they're going to be Zoom sessions, I could just get back in touch with my girl. And then I thought, yeah, but the panda won't last forever, we hope. And um, as a result, uh, I think that it would be good to embark on a new relationship with someone I could eventually jump on a bus and go and see slightly more easily. So uh, more info on Stu's exciting therapy journey. I I said this last time. I'm not going to keep talking to you about it because uh, A, no one cares. And B, I should probably keep it for me anyway. (laughs) So it is both personal and irrelevant, or at least two of the big three. That's it for now. Speak to you soon. Oh, who's next week? I don't know. Is it Matt Ewins? Is it ABK? Is it Kim Noble? Is it Laurie Kilmartin? Who knows? I'll make my mind up in my own sweet time. Thanks very much. (laughs) 